Hey, it's Tia Carrer, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys. Um, so yeah, it's recording now. Is it French horn. <laughs> so, hello everyone. Sean welcome. Bean's blowing a French horn. I didn't understand um, Max's comment that the picture of Sean Bean and then a picture of a turkey. I didn't get that. Oh, <laughs> it's uh, oh, it's because it was it was basted bastard. Because oh, you probably have you not seen the video? Yeah, you remember oh, the video. God. The video of Sean Bean saying bastard about various people. <laughs> Yes, yeah. He says it quite a lot about sharp. Mostly in um is sharp, yeah, I was gonna call it hornblower. But that's what he does in Lord of the Rings, isn't it? French hornblower. <laughs> um that's the name of the bloke from Third Rock from the Sun, isn't it? Oh. Oh no, it's French Stewart. That's John Lithgow. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so, are you, uh, welcome everyone to Kino Kingdom eighty two. Um an action packed show to get through. I do apologise for sounding a bit rough. I've had, I feel like I've had multiple codes one after the other because it's like, you got like is it, well, no, I don't even know if it's that. I just, at the moment, I've got this weird thing where it's almost like, feels like my chest is just aching. And like, it's like, it, it's like I've pulled a muscle, but in my, like inside me. So I, I just mm. can't connect, can't get comfortable. I feel achy. I've just, my voice is coming and going. So I've been on the vocal zone, obviously. Well, you're but, 78. Um, you've been smoking for the last 50 years. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I, I'm surprised the cigarettes lasted this long, to be honest. It's just the one as well. <laughs> it's just it would be dry. It would be dry. <laughs> it would not have a filter either. <laughs> if I smoke a cigarette without a filter, I was sick. I was nearly sick. Straight off one drag. I remember when I was about 20. Someone <laughs> said, it was a Scottish friend of mine. He said, oh, smoke it like a real man. And he ripped the filter off. And I had one drag and I had to sit down. I thought, oh, my God. I Why didn't did beat Edward James Olmos and Battlestar like to get it in. Oh, I know. Yeah. He puts it in Nancy, but your sissy. Doesn't he put it in his mouth and then he thinks, no, this isn't enough. I need yeah, to take it's, it. It's, I, yeah, I've been through a lot. I need a proper jug on this one. Um, uh, just, yeah, so a few little things to, to kick us off. Uh, like I said, hello, everyone. Thanks, thanks for listening. Um, and, and again, apologies for being a bit croaky today. Um, Utah Smith uh, watched End of Days recently, and it's a film I watched a few times when I was a kid. But the only thing I really remember from it is the fact that the names of uh, is it? I think it's Kevin. What's his name? It's is it Kevin Pollock? Kevin Pollock and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And their names are Bobby Chicago and Jericho Kane. It's like they're not real names. They're my go-to example of someone like not having a real name in a film. No one is called Bobby Chicago in this world. Um, Are you there with me or are you not with me? You are not with me, are you? I'm here. I'm everywhere. I was on mute. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, Yeah, Bobby Chicago and Jericho Kane. And um, he, he made a point that he said, it's the... So Gabriel Byrne... It plays the devil in the film, or a man who's possessed by the devil, right? Oh yeah. And <laughs> at the start of the film, this the, I think the character's like a doctor, whatever. He's out with his fiance, and he goes to the toilet, and the devil takes over Gabriel Byrne's body, right? Now the the devil, obviously, is, if you might if you assume the devil's real, he's probably got up to some pretty full on stuff in his spare time, hasn't he? 
He's probably got. He's probably got some questionable hobbies. Exactly, yeah, probably the thing that would make people like inhale through gritted teeth and and maybe tat, right? And he's been doing it. For, I, I I haven't read the Bible, so he's been doing it for like say tens of hundreds of thousands of years. You can imagine he's probably discovered every like form of negative pain pleasure complex there is, right? He's probably made Doug Bradley go well. Can we can we stop for a sec? This is getting a bit far off for me. I'm gonna can be we wind it back a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to go outside for some fresh air. Um, well, because so Gabriel Byrne, the devil takes over Gabriel Byrne. He's got three days before the world is going to end. He has waited hundreds of years for this opportunity to take over the body of a human, and he's got three days before the Antichrist is born. He's going to take over the world, or whatever the plot is. And the way that this like soft fifteen film from what was it 1999 shows us this is. He goes outside and just grabs someone's random wife and, and snogs her and just squeezes her tits. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, I don't know, that, that the devil probably think, one, I've got more pressing matters to deal with. And mm. two, that, that's that's a mere bagatelle to the devil, isn't it? Snogging yeah. a bird and feeling her up. He's probably yeah. like, been there, done that, mate. That just sounds like St. Mary Street in Cardiff, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, at lunchtime. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just took me because I thought he's probably got more more full on things. He's probably done things that made him sort of dry. He even think, oh, I might stop for a sec. Actually, it's just a bit, it's a bit much. Um, and the other thing was, uh, we've got a kind of ongoing uh, conversation with with listeners and as to what is the the worst streaming service. Um, I've got a Rakuten, the worst streaming service T-shirt, and we ha- we've had we've had a few pretenders to the crown. I look at you, Paramount Plus. Um, I'll go back on the, but we're watching that. Watching what was it? I was watching Paddington, changing the aspect ratio randomly from scene to scene. Thank you very much. Um, but Plex, this- Plex hasn't exactly been a picnic either. <laughs> Do you still use that? Uh, I I did use it the other day, and it's it did not remember where I was in the movie. Twice. You know, you know, you know. But there, there is a, there is a streaming service that keeps on coming back up. And Transvaal, yeah. one of our regulars, told me this. So WWE Network, right? Um, I, I've used this myself, the wrestling WWE Network, and I've seen it where you, you, you press play. Ah, it just goes back to the main menu. Uh, and then they, re- if you remember, they removed the chapters. You had to manually scrub in ten second intervals through three or four hour shows, which is, which is totally fine. But apparently, what it's been doing recently is you select a match. So you go through the awful search regime, you choose a match, and then it just goes straight back to the main menu. It doesn't. It's just like right, thank you. Or if it does select them, they start, but each time they start it just randomly selects a different language. So <laughs> it'll just start with either with like Russian subtitles or just in French. And it, oh apparently it's God. never English. I, I love it. I love, I love the fact that it, this is a massive, massive multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. And, you know, it's just a tickle me. So WWE Network is, is the reigning champion of, I mean, I don't know if it's a Rakuten beta, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'd, have to, we'd have to find out um i think rakuten we i mean put it in context i, mean, I suppose at least wwe is something quite specific whereas rakuten is really attempting to be an alternative to more mainstream uh more popular streaming services so this <laughs> yeah it fails miserably on every level so 
yeah. having having bullet in the head in the classic film selection. That was astonishing, yeah. wasn't it? It's just like yeah. sandwiched between It's a Wonderful Life and Citizen Kane. There it is, bullet in the head. <laughs> <laughs> um, and well, just thought we'd, we'd mentioned that um, it's gone back a few weeks now, but just thought we'd mentioned the sad passing of Matthew Perry um, because yes. he was the keeper in Friends and he is in one of my favourite comedies, um, The Whole Nine Yards, which I watched, I rewatched in his honour. Did I watch the sequel? No, I didn't because it's not very good. But uh, the whole nine, <laughs> right, the whole nine yards though is 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 a is a sort of physical comedy classic. So uh, since his sad demise, have you have you Matthew Perryed up at all? Not particularly. Obviously, uh, watched you a lot watched, of Friends and well, you and you watched Three to Tango. No, weirdly, I, it just the fact that there is such a paucity of Matthew Perry movies to go back on kind of speaks to his uh like unrealized potential yeah and like that's i mean like uh, the trouble is you know if he'd made it through all of friends kind of okay then it may have been a different story but he watched friends and the fluctuations in his physical and mental health is so obvious to see and just his career was never really going to take off even though he was clearly extremely extremely funny uh, yeah, and he had amazing comic timing. Um, and for a while, he was best character in it. Um, until until they, until they completely messed up his character and turned him into someone else. Yeah, but, that, yeah, it it got to a point in it where everyone just kind of turned into a sap. Um, yeah, like a real sap, and it was these just aren't the characters we know. Um, but I will say, as I've said before, that although Friends is a show that went rapidly downhill after like season three until it really hit its low ebb around eight and nine. The mm. final season is actually extremely funny. Um, and Matthew Perry is brilliant in it and he actually looks quite healthy. So that's one to return to the episode where he and Monica are um, visiting a family who've got an adopted son and Matthew Perry and Chandler accidentally gives away to the son that he's adopted is just an absolute comedy masterclass. So that one needs to be returned to definitely. Oh, wow. It's I don't remember that. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Well, it was the final season. So I think it was a shorter season, but it just seemed like everyone was on top form in that final season. So that was good. So yeah, it's a nice way to head, head off, but to send off, sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah, just in terms of films. Yeah. There's a dearth of films, isn't it? Because yeah. I remember, like, I'm, the, he made a lot of sort of romantic comedies, and then in the last, I guess, 10, 15 years, he seemed to focus on a lot of. Sorry, I'm going to cough. A lot of pilots that didn't really go anywhere. That there's one called something like All About Steve or Mr. Sunshine, stuff like that, and they seem to have like good, good. They would sort of be quite well reviewed, saying that he was like he was quite funny in it, but then the rest of the show didn't stand up, and they just didn't get picked up. And, yeah. Uh, it was a shame yeah, that he did. So he had like an off-Broadway stage show and stuff like that. So he's mm. trying, but I just don't think maybe he just peaked too early. Perhaps I'm not sure. But. And it, it, it is a shame. It is a shame. Um, and yeah. another thing that's so yeah, we Matthew Perry. Oh, and that's what I was going to say on the on that topic as well is uh, he played Benny in um, Fallout New Vegas. And did, yeah. someone has designed a mod, a Benny mod, which shows like a tombstone with Matthew Perry on it that you can have in the game. So if you're a yeah, follower, a nice modest out there, that, that was really nice. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I believe, Rupert, that you've seen the Beverly Hills Cop trailer. 
Beverly Hills Cop. Is it four or is it a reboot? What is it? I've done nothing. No, I think it's called Beverly Hills Cop colon Axel F. And um, <laughs> right. I have seen the trailer. I think it, it dropped today. And yeah. um, it was even it was released today. It's available yeah, today. It's yeah. online today. There's plenty. And, of, um, is it going to do with Vent and Newman? <laughs> it um, it is what you'd expect from a trailer of this type, a modern trailer. It's got like. I guess it's got, I think it's got the Axel F theme tune and lots of crashing drums and editing that is in rhythm with the drums, as they tend to do these days. Um, Eddie Murphy looks like a slightly podgier Eddie Murphy, but he, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he still looks good. Uh, Taggart and Rosewood, <laughs> it's different. I mean, Taggart just looks a bit. Well, they're only in like a little, a little bit of it, but it just looks a bit distant. And, <laughs> and then you've got Judge Reinhold, who just looks like he can't emote at all because of the amount of Botox in his face. Oh, is yeah. Michael Burke Clive Dunn, is he? Yeah. There's a, um, who's in it? Um, I can't remember who's the, I can't think of any actors in it. Kevin, who's the, I can't think of his name. I can't think of his name from Star yeah. of Echoes. What's his name? Kevin Bacon. Kevin That's Bacon, it. yeah. Kevin Bacon is in it, being an angry kind of, uh, I guess, police chief type person. Um, there's a lot of action moments, uh, followed by little quips and stuff. There's a lot of throwbacks to the original. I think Serge rocks up at one point. Uh, Bronson Pinchot. It doesn't... I mean... It just looks like harking back to the original, and I don't know. It could be fine, or it could be depressing, like coming to America. I would. That was depressing. I was just thinking about um, about this, right? Because I haven't actually seen the trailer, but <clears throat> Beverly Hills Cop one and two were were quite sort of gritty, mm-hmm. and then the third one was sort of softened. I assume just to get a wider audience. But the problem was that it it was just it. it it, it took the edge off Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy is the the sort of you know the juggernaut in those films. I what rating is this film? Because I know now a, a, an eighteen then is like a fifteen now. Because you're yeah. talking about what the mid to late eighties. So as long as it's got like a, a a functional plot, and I'm happy to have all these callbacks, but for God's sake, let them like F and Jeff, and let it just let Eddie Murphy run free that's what I'm hoping that it's not another, right, let's do the third one again and try to get, you know, make this like, you don't try and make it a blockbuster, make yeah. it for the people who are fans of the original, who these are the ones that want, no one's going to, no one under 20 is going to care about this film. No. And this is going to, this is going to tie into um, a film I'm going to talk about later on. I watched another Eddie Murphy film this last week, but I, I, my hope, and I will watch it. And I think I might go in blind because Eddie Murphy was like a weirdly big part of my childhood. I mean, I, I like Vampire and Blocker as much as the next man, okay? Um, but I, I just, I, I want, after watching um, Dolomite is my name, I know that he can still do it. He's still got that charisma and that ability and that, that speed and quickness of mind. And yes. I just want to see it again. Yeah. That's my main thing. It's that, because I know with... Beverly Hills Cop 3 especially, like his lack of interest in that film is so evident on the screen. But I'm just hoping that, you know, even if this is just a paycheck for everyone, he just throws himself into it and is like, he is enjoying himself. Because that's the mm. kind of nice thing about, especially the original, 
Bradley's Cup is he he just seems to enjoy himself so much just like in anything he does sort of thing uh so there's a kind of joyousness at the center of that film even while there's harsh shit's going on around him so as long as it's yeah. got that as long you, as it's got the right of, dynamics that's what I'm yeah a, a dynamic again when i talk about um a film later on I, it's i'm looking forward to, we're going to be covering the same round um so that's uh i am keen for that just a little while we're talking about uh well we were talking about streaming services a minute ago i just want to say to everyone that you pointed this out to me um the batman animated series is on netflix now and mm-hmm. it is it is so fantastic i think i'm enjoying it more now than i did when i watched it as a kid because you can see the the design of it the sound design the visuals and the depth and the and the, the voice work it's so timeless and it's, it's so, yeah, the it's art so, style is so timeless. It's yeah. so it's the most art deco thing I've ever encountered. Anytime any, every building is a Chrysler building. <laughs> yeah, every time anyone reach any car is about fifteen feet long. Anytime everyone's wearing a zoot suit. Anytime anyone touches a radio, it's like some nineteen thirties dial. It's like this is every you can imagine. There are so many poster worthy frames in that in that show. So. I'm watching them now with my son sometimes. Sometimes I'm watching them by myself. Um, and, I, and I'm and i really luxuriating in them. Like, I'm not, like, pounding through them. I'm watching one every few days so I can really drink it in, you know. <laughs> I, I'm really, really treating myself to these 65 episodes. Have you decided to make your way through it again? Um, I will do. I think once my son is beyond his Peppa Pig phase. Oh, has he entered yeah. it? Yeah, it's happened. I don't know where he got that from. I may be... Childcare, I'm not sure, but he's yeah. But that's okay. I mean, Peppa, there's worse things than Peppa Pig. It's fine. It's got Ryan Blessed in it, so I'm happy with that. Of course it has. Um, and at one point as well, you'll find that it's got um, what's his name? Not Jermaine Greer, the other Judge Jermaine. Reinhold? No, Jermaine, the one from Flight of the Concords. Oh, Clement. Yeah, he's he's in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but um, yeah, I, I've, he's my son has been in that phase for the last two years, so I'm uh, I'm. Oh, if you okay. want, if you want a break, oh, go good. on, go on. Uh, well, my son's been in it for like two weeks, so hopefully I've got another two years of it left. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Um, if you want a break of it though, go on Peppa Pig Tales on okay. on YouTube. Um, uh, there was yeah a couple of the bits and pieces. Um, I was recently. Uh, playing a gig in Nice, and uh, which and uh, people listen to this in America, you're not going to know what that is. It's a it's the kind of place you would go to shoot your dog, and leave it on. <laughs> you wouldn't even have to bet you just shoot it and leave it and drive off. It's definitely um, beneath you. Well, so but they 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 had posters on the walls that I've never noticed before, and these posters were phenomenal because the, it was it was like there was a there was a Warlock the Armageddon poster. Good. Um, a great train robbery with Brian Dennehy. Um, nowhere to run. Night moves, not that one. The one with Christopher Lambert instead. And I thought these posters are obviously worth a lot of money because they're cinema style. They're cinema sized. You know, they're taken from the cinema yeah. at the time and they've been in storage for like thirty plus years. And now they just like plonked them up on the wall to be graffitied over. And I just thought this is the most mid-range selection choices as well I, such, oh, yeah i just well get those up obviously but I, I had to mention it on the podcast i had to say that i saw i would have had that night moves poster i need to watch night moves again not that one and that one as well with them um, gene hackman because they're both tasty um is the one with gene hackman different to the one with christoph lamb it's very different it's okay so they are different films right okay 
Yeah, that's Night Moves, and the other one is Kanai Hight Moves. Because obviously one is Night Moves with Gene Hackman, and the other one in the 70s, and the other one is, I guess, like 1990, with yeah. um, with Christophe Lomb, and that's where he's a chess grandmaster, and that's why it's called Kanai Moves. That makes sense, because that literally happens in chess. Okay. And and the last thing I have to say before we go into the films, um, I was at a party recently, and <clears throat> I got into a dragged into a, not dragged into, I started rather a conversation about scenes in well I was with three men that I don't really know that well and I said what are scenes in films or situations in films that make you cry and someone said oh dogs anytime like a dog gets hurt in a film you know Turner and Hooch or Marley and me or whatever like that sets me off and someone okay. else said and I've seen the Lord of the Rings. I've seen Lord of the Rings films. Well, I know you know what I'm going to say. But I'd had a few drinks. I was there. And and I'll, I'll say it in the language I heard it in, right? I've seen Lord of the Rings once when I was drunk, like when it was out in 2003 or whatever. <clears throat> and he said, ah, oh, when they blow the horn of Gondor. And I said, and I always think, of course, people are talking about like Shawshank Redemption and stuff like that. And he's like, and I said, when you cry when someone blows a horn, you say... And we said, yeah, there's um, there's the siege of Fatalmeth, and all of the the orcs of Valarios are attacking, and the humans, the town of Benthag is is down, and and they're all getting slaughtered by the orcs, and then someone blows the horn of Gondor, and as he was saying this, and I was sort of squinting my eyes at him, the a person next to me he was quite nerdy went, mm, and like really not mm, okay, like I'm with you, baby, yeah, it's I'm a shared mind. moment. And, yeah. and I and I I thought why I don't understand is it like a full like they're like oh, like oh we're fucked but um it is a bit I, of like we're fucked but I thought it was because but then he said oh no then heroes turn up and I said so you, they blow a horn they get saved you cry and uh, I'm like, so can you explain the situation I purposely have asked you I'll set the scene uh, that they are. The, the fellowship's kind of split up because Boromir's just tried to um, take the ring from Frodo, but then he immediately regrets it. Anyway, they, they're split up, and Boromir is with the. He must. There Hobbits. must be a joke out there where he says, "I'm only going to borrow near it." Yes, in the film, it's a real knee oh, slapper moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, uh, so Boromir is with I think Merry and Pippin trying to keep the hobbits safe, but they are being pursued insatiably by the Urukai, who are like uh, genetically modified orcs basically and so they're a bit screwed and he's like fighting them off and he he is a man of Gondor so he blows the horn of Gondor and when you blow the horn of Gondor it means I am screwed I need you to come to my aid and then so Aragorn and the others uh, hear him like Legolas and that they hear the horn of Gondor and they go to his aid but it's too late, um, and spoiler alert: Boromir is slain, and so uh, Aragorn kind of sits with him as he dies, and and Boromir, as he's dying, speaks of his regret about uh, how he tried to take the ring from Frodo, and he basically says, "You're a better man than me," uh, and I, you know, I hail to the king, sort of thing, and then he dies so and it's a nicely done scene it's a very nicely done scene and i i suppose the actual blowing of the horn perhaps 
isn't the impactful moment is probably when Bromo gets his ass kicked seconds later, really. <laughs> you imagine it all coming out from just booting up the ass so hard that it breaks his coccyx and he spends the rest of the battle hopping around shouting, My ass, my ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then he slips and kicks himself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> It's just lucky he doesn't own a marble sink, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and one of the orcs turns the other one and says, Did he just kick himself in the face? I've never seen that. <laughs> then the other one says, Well, you've never seen Rocky too, then. Um, um, so yeah, so it wasn't so much blowing a horn. It was, it was more the whole. I, in all fairness, if I'm, if you're talking to someone and they, they're telling you about a scene that really brings them emotionally to their knees, and you have no context for it. It, it does make for an enlightening conversation. So anyone who listen to this, if you fancy telling us uh, scenes in films or situations when, you know, like if a dog is in a film and then they tell you that it's ill and you think, oh, I'm going to cry soon. Um, let us know at themenwhotalkoutoutlook.com. Um, yeah, that, that was that. So I've rabbited on a long time. It's because there's been such a gap between um, episodes. Mm-hmm. I, I had a lot to cover. So unless you've got anything, do you want to just leap into the film reviews? I'm happy to leap into the film reviews. It's been a while, so I'm <laughs> just trying to remember. What are these movies again? Do, did I watch this? I watched a film called Talk To Me on Netflix about a thousand years ago. Um, and it, it, here's something very new. It's it's a, it's a horror movie with a cool premise and a strong opening act, but it falls apart in the second half. You wouldn't believe it, would you? You would not oh, believe I've it. I've never heard of um, that. <laughs> It focuses on a young lady who's basically been adopted by a best friend's family after her mother killed herself and her father was not an appropriate guardian. Um, so life is good, but then they, as in this girl and her friend, are invited to this house party where it's with it's like something they've seen online sort of thing on social media, but it's it's like a kind of ritual where someone sits in the middle of a room and a candle is lit. And the person clasps this supposedly disembodied hand uh, to mm. invite the ghosts of the dead into the room. Um, and they kind of freak out. And that's, you know, so it's kind of a dare type thing. So that's mm. stage one. And then they will basically, the rules are, they'll spend up to 90 seconds actually crossing over into the realm of the dead. And they'll mm. have this haunted, trippy experience, uh, including a brief freaky meeting with the denizen of the dead world if you like uh, and then they emerge refreshed and scared and exhilarated like it's kind of like a drug sort of thing and those scenes are really cool because they're kind of like it's it's reminiscent i find of like flatliners another film which had a cool premise and was good for the first half but there's it's sort of like there's almost an addictive quality to the rush of it, but also this dangerous sense that a forbidden line is being crossed. So there is genuine tension in what they might see on the other side, because they know they're going to meet some dead person, but it's like, what is the nature of that person going to be? And some of the ghost encounters are pretty shocking. So it's, that's cool. So inevitably a kind of Rubicon is crossed and a force is unleashed that the protagonist will need to confront by facing her fears and facing her past and facing her father in fact her father the actor cannot act <laughs> so that really undermines that those sequences anyway so yeah the film is really good up to a point um and then it suddenly just reverts to it's like it's written by someone completely different it's, it reverts to like hackney tropes and 
real like amateur dramatic acting and everything in the final act is just absurdly what, what, as, as in the acting quality of the actors who've been in it throughout suddenly takes a dip like they're just rushing it or something yeah i mean you know, as the father person comes into it more that doesn't help but yeah i think because it becomes so tropey and predictable it's uh it's like suddenly all the lines are, are they're I, I don't know. There's just a lot of lot more shouting of stupid, nonsensical lines and just bad dialogue. So that, that doesn't help performances. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, the main girl played by Sophie Wilde. She she could carry a movie, and I and I did enjoy Miranda Otto. So there's another Lord of the Rings connection as her this no nonsense nonsense mum character. So that was fine. Um, there are some contrivances in the script i'd say in terms of like character beats and motivations it feels overwritten over rewritten perhaps like like the stakes will pile up and so does the hysteria and it makes some of the drama very contrived um and it's a dangerous game to play i think combining inherently silly supernatural stuff with this grounded relatable human drama because you inevitably get this tension between the characters complete unquestioning acceptance of the supernatural element right juxtaposed against their quite rational human emotions like characters will be screaming things like this is your fault and i never want to see you again when the hysterical disbelief should be really be reserved for understanding why and how we just contacted the dead and a literal poltergeist just threw our friend across the room. Um, but so there's an it doesn't quite hang together in that regard. Uh, but it is genuinely quite scary at times. But it's unfortunately very cringeworthy in other times. So it's a mixed bag. But I'd say worth a go. It's very well shot and edited and it's got fantastic makeup effects. So you got that. Um. Sorry, uh, I just saw that a sequel is in development. Uh, so maybe did it did it feel like it, something that demanded a sequel? Uh, no, not particularly. No more than I don't know something like um, it follows or something, which is of course getting a sequel for no good reason. But there you go. Well, I'll watch it with my eyes, obviously, and my feet. Yeah, it's middling, but it has moments of brilliance. Just not in the second half. Yeah, Ruben's talking about talk to me, not it follows when he says those words because it follows his brilliance from oh, start yes, to finish. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I'll carry on the horror theme then, seeing as it's Christmas. Um, <clears throat> I have a penchant for kind of lower budget Russell Crowe films, so I watched The Pope's Exorcist oh, yeah. um, because I'm not a stupid man. I really like the last film that Russell was in. Well, he was the best thing about um, was it Thor Ragnarok? No, it was Thor, whatever. Four, Love, and Thunder, it? Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder, that was it. Look, like, like, I, I thought he was brilliant in that. One of the best part of a Marvel film is someone skipping daintily down some steps. You know you're in trouble. That was astonishing. But lifting his petticoat as he did so. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like Russell Crowe. Just, it, well, not, I don't know about him. I've never met him. Um, but And he's not in the bar. But I like his... He has an appeal to me in films, like a kind of earthy appeal. And mm. I, what was the last film he was in where, um, oh, was it not? It was about road rage. It was a, a really kind of funky, what was it called? I have to do a little bit of research here on the fly. Nice. Um, 
what it was released like a couple of years ago and he was just played like a just a basically a chubby bloke who <laughs> lost his temper at like a simple car accident and it just sets off a whole chain of events <coughs> unhinged um i really enjoyed okay. him in unhinged and then love and thunder and i thought well i'm kind of up for more for more uh, for more rest and in this film he plays yes the pope's exorcist but he's just well actually uses the word earthy here in this description where he's kind of really light-hearted about being the pope's exorcist and um he, he understands that most of the exorcisms he gets called out to are fake mm. but it's kind of worth it for the handful that are real because of the, obviously the risk um it shows at the start that he's um taken to um a sort of shack to where a, a boy is supposed to be possessed by a demon but it's more of a mental health issue and he sort of mm-hmm. help, helps him out of it so he feels that what he's doing is worthwhile even though a lot of it is sort of fake I and mean, he's basically there almost doing like a mixture of sort of sideshow magic and psychotherapy effectively um but he finds out that um that there is there is an actual exorcism that the pope tells him like this one looks this one does look a bit saucy you might want to go over there and the whole film is him just rocking up at this. Uh, look, it's a, what's it called? An a, 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 not an abbot. Where is it where abbots live? A costello? <laughs> um, I don't know. Abbey. Abbey is the abbey. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he turns up this abbey, and and it's this. It, it's a bit of the plot that didn't quite make sense to me. There's a there's a woman there who lives there, um, <coughs> with her two children and franco nero by the way is the um is the pope and this is totally fine he he turns up this woman turns up their father's passed away and they've moved to spain to restore this abbey right to sell it so they can move back to america and she keeps on saying to the kids oh no we'll have to we'll have to put up with the restoration we've got like no money and i thought if you have no money, how are you restoring an abbey? Because <laughs> so when there's so many, there's like so many people working on it, but there's teams of men, stone masons, carpenters. Like it would be hundreds of thousands of pounds, and she is brassic. She hasn't got two pennies. She can't even pay attention. She's so skint. <laughs> and it's like we're and it, so okay, whatever. So I moved on from that. And um, yeah, then the, the son uh, gets possessed through ways I won't say because it's will spoil it and then russell crowe turns up to to sort of sort the exorcism out and it turns out to be a little bit more fruity than he first imagined and the whole film i really liked it, it had this weird tone because he's kind of like slightly whimsical and just just like almost like a like a fun uncle mm. but it's an extremely uncle. serious uncle he's in an extremely serious situation where a child is like very clearly possessed and the, it, the, the child does a good job of it as well saying really buzzing things um and it's the usual thing where they got to find the demon's name and say it and then you'll bugger off which is a very specific rule that appears in all of these horror films what is the demon's name well what gary, i would do right, gary sinise if they said this something to me or oh, you just have to find the demon's name and it'll go i would just sit at the end of the bed and i would look at it directly in the eyes just out of arm's reach and i'd go brian keith colin that's <laughs> but lionel susan brian with an o brian with an a Brian with a Y, Brian, <laughs> Harry with two R's, Mark, Marcus, Malcolm, and until I got it, it would take a while because none of those are the demon's name in this particular case, <laughs> um, but um, 
it's actually it's actually um susan cartwright in this situation um, okay so yeah I, it, it's not it wasn't um it wasn't like a really full-on visceral film it was oddly fun like watching it i just kind of in, enjoyed it i wasn't frightened there was some moments and i thought it was uneasy is but it a horror I, film would you say yes yes it's it's very clearly a horror film okay so it's not like what i mean is i guess because we've talked a lot about mothman prophecies over the last couple of weeks and oh no convinced that's a horror film this is one of those but this is this isn't like that because it's not like it's not like are they real and the whole film is are they real within the first five minutes it's like very few are real most aren't this one is let's get it sorted so you're in, it's kind of like a time travel thing where they just say yes oh, we can travel time. Very efficient that's script, isn't it? Mechanics. Yeah, boom. And uh, yeah, there's um, <laughs> there's a really funny scene at the start where he turns up, he turns up in this like Spanish abbey and it's just really dusty. And the local sort of padre is like, oh, can I help you? And he's like, oh no, do you, do you want do you want a drink? And he pulls out a hip flask, and and the, and the father is like, no. And he's like, oh, it's just oh, very. And as he's like talking, as he's he's so clearly just after a booze rush, he's like drinking from this hip flask and going, oh, it's just very thirsty, dry ride from there. And he's just like drinking and drinking in front of this frowning priest. Like, should you be drinking like that? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, and then it hints apparently that there's going to be a couple of these films because I don't know if it's based on uh, you know, uh, in air quotes, tr- a true story if they're based on writings or whatever, but. I enjoyed it enough, and it kind of felt like it had its own mood. That if they knocked out a few of these, I'd quite happily just watch them because he he was quite a fun character, and I okay. like the juxtaposition of like his kind of lightheartedness, and then the moment something really full on happens, he's like, right, okay, and that that seriousness cuts through, and it's like, right, we got to yeah. be careful now, especially because kids are involved. So yeah, I enjoyed the Pope's Exorcist, and it's on. Um... <laughs> uh, Sky. Okay. It looks like it did okay box office wise. Oh, that's good to know. Well, I mean, it, it cost eighteen million and made seventy-seven, so yeah, it's got to be profit there. Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Yeah, um, definitely worth it. Yeah, I might check that out. Um, sounds intriguing. Right, I'm going to talk about Lord of the Rings, not that one. I'm going to talk about. The Ralph Bakshi animation from 1978, whose blurb slightly cheekily neglects to mention that the film actually only covers two thirds of the book trilogy. But anyway, oh, okay. So actually, it's like 85 minutes of Fellowship of the Ring and then about 40 minutes of the Two Towers, and then it just stops. Um, so well. Uh, the very quick story is Frodo the Hobbit obtains the One Ring to rule them all. He needs to get it to Mount Doom to destroy it before it falls into the hands of the evil Sauron. He's helped along the way by various decent folk, including the likes of Aragorn and the wizard Gandalf. Um, so we've gone over this. But um, yes, this is quite a famous or infamous version of the uh, of Tolkien's work. It's it's famously like rotoscope in large part. Rotoscoping is like where real actors perform uh, and then they paint over the uh, images, over the frames. Yes, yes. We've all played Prince of Persia. Carry on. <laughs> exactly. Now, the, I, I have an essential problem with the rotoscope style, which is, yes, it's very stylistically distinctive, but it, it, it also 
burdens the animation with these artificial limits like the whole reason to animate is to depict characters and actions that, that don't reflect the real world but every time there's a fight scene in this <laughs> a piece of action you're just constantly away watching actors like they've got the limitations of actors so you get these really clumsy fight scenes and this very grounded stunt work and nothing that might defy the capabilities of basically a bunch of actors in studios so that doesn't really work I, I think I've got a similar sorry to interrupt but I, I have a similar thing with it like I watched um oh a scanner darkly is the most yeah. recent one that pops into my head and I find it so such an, an idiosyncratic way of animation of animating that I mm-hmm. I spend the whole whole film kind of admiring it I and I yes. don't I, I lose focus on what's actually happening so that's it's my just, issue with it yeah it's just a bit distracting maybe just out of pure novelty I'm not sure because there's a reason why it's not used that much. It's extremely expensive, apart from anything. Hence why there's no other Ralph <laughs> Bakshi Lord of the Rings film, I guess. It's got some beautiful background art, which is reminiscent of the work of Roger Dean, who we all know from Psygnosis game covers. <laughs> obviously. And Yes, album uh, uh, covers. Yes, um, album covers, yes. Yeah. And, but then, so you've got this beautiful background art, but there's also this perennial divide between the background and the characters on the screen. So there's never any interaction between them. It's just very, very flat and 2D. Like on a 2D plane sort of thing. Yeah, it's not great. And and I are think... You, you're fighting 2D planes. Are you sure you didn't play Flashback? I think I might have just been playing Another World, actually. Um, oh, right. oh, sorry, Out of This World for our American listeners. <laughs> um but yeah, I think the key thing that this version lacks is, is dynamism. Like, like for example, there's a moment when Galadriel, uh, this uh, she burn around elf, yes, yeah, she's tempted it. by the ring. And in Peter Jackson's version, he does this thing where it's like this hellish visual and audio nightmare where she grows in stature and bellows how she's going to become beautiful and terrifying and terrible and and like basically <sighs> capture all this power for herself and it's actually quite frightening and then she calms and then speaks of vanishing into the west and but in this version she just like delivers all this as just this single quiet speech and i just think there's no there's no dynamic here. There's nothing. I just don't think Bakshi is is maximizing the medium. That's the thing. And like, and like the the style itself, the style of animation itself. Like sometimes it looks cool. Like with the Hobbits, they are very they're pretty much proper cartoon character, almost like Disney like character designs. Um, whereas there's other times when it's just colorized actors and it looks absurd and inconsistent. And then you've got the Balrog, wow, the mightiest creature in all of Middle-earth. And they basically dress up a dude with a weird lion's head and wobbly wings and add some wicked sounds. And it's truly majestic stuff. Uh, it's ridiculously abridged, mm. by the way, this version, to the point where I can't imagine how certain characters would be perceived even by... If you didn't know, have any prior knowledge of Lord of the Rings, how would you perceive these characters? Like... Aragorn, for example, fated to be the king of men, is particularly disappointing because he doesn't actually get to show his quality until the very end of the movie. Up to that point, he just becomes across as a thug. Legolas barely utters a word. Gollum is okay, but he essentially looks like an alien and the voicing just makes him sound thick rather than anguished or conflicted or scheming. And then you've got other issues like the fact that they... Apparently, I read up about this. They 
there's an issue in the film where so you've got the main bad entity is Sauron, right? And then you've got the wizard who becomes corrupt is called Saruman. So they thought at the time, oh, people are going to get confused between those two names. So they decided to change the name of Saruman to Aruman. But which is okay. That's just a stylist of things. I get used to that. However, the problem is, is that in the film they haven't removed all of the references to Saruman. So half the time they're saying Saruman, and half the time they're saying Araman. So it's completely inconsistent. It's just really shoddy. So, so yeah, they're saying Saruman, and then they're saying Araman. And yeah, we've got so an elf th- who's really good with arrows. So are they saying <laughs> the Araman. Yeah. But the thing is, if you don't. If you're not consistent, then, of course, it's just going to confuse people even further. You're trying to avoid confusion, and yet you're adding additional confusion by calling someone a single character by two different names. So it is an interesting experiment, I would say, but one that doesn't work as an adaptation or as a stylistically coherent piece on its own two feet. And really, it can only be recommended for, well, Tolkien completists, really, uh, and possibly Jackson, Peter Jackson completists who want to see some of the visual cues that he picked up for the live action movies like the there's a scene where the black rider is sniffing around for the hobbits under some roots of a tree uh or the part where the black riders attack what they think is the hobbits uh, in the bedroom and then there's a lot of the shire scenes a lot of the early stuff you can see that but just don't be fooled into thinking this is some great way of introducing young children to the world of tolkien because it's just a strange, slightly dreary, sometimes dreamlike drag of a movie. If it ends, this is 1978, did you say? Mm-hmm. If it ends, uh, not as the trilogy does, what is the end point to it? Uh, the actual end is... This Helm's Deep happens, and then what happens after that? I can't remember where it is specifically it ends, but... Essentially, it's before. Yeah, it's it's essentially if you imagine it's the first two, it's the first two Jackson movies rolled into one two hour piece. So you can imagine how bridge that is, considering the first two Jackson movies were like six and a half, seven hours long. Well, they must be talking quickly in that film. <laughs> well, there's just no development, there's no character development. They just suddenly leap enormous distances across Middle Earth. It doesn't, yeah, it's it is an unnecessary watch. Okay, I, I mean, I I'd be surprised if I'm ever in a situation where I watch the Lord of the Rings films ever again. So it, <laughs> for me to be in the situation, where I'm watching a rotoscope version from the seventies, an unfinished rotoscope <laughs> version. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm sure there's some people listening thinking, oh, I'll check that out. Um, but is it where is it available actually? I paid money for it on Prime. How much money? It was it was a deal, so it was like four quid. So it might still be on a deal, but it's not worth it. Carrying on from my Eddie Murphy chat earlier on, I watched for the I think only the second time ever. I Spy from 2002 because. I remember thinking it was all right, but then a lot of films from the mid, uh, early to mid two thousands had that effect on me, where they just, they didn't have, they were just okay, they were just quite glossy. But I don't know what it was. I haven't seen any movie film recently that I'm aware of, but I fancied watching one because, of course, you grow up watching like Forty Eight Hours and uh, and 
another 48 hours and then you watch 48 hours again and then you know all, all the sort of boomerang vampire in brooklyn we've already discussed and and all that sort of stuff and i thought well trading places i watched like i said dolomite is my name and i really enjoyed it and i thought i'd basically i wanted something quite light so i thought i'll just reassess this because i haven't seen owen wilson in a film i mean the the only film I would have seen Owen Wilson in, because he made about 40 billion films in 2001 when this was released. 2002, sorry. He did. I think it was like Shanghai Noon and a couple of other bits and pieces I would have seen him in before this. Um, so I just want, wanted to rewatch it. And this is a bit of a TMT because I'm not going to go into any depth. It, it's a, um, I didn't know this, but it's a remake of, or based rather, on a television series um, starring Robert Culp and Bill Cosby, which I spoke to our mutual friend Mal today about this, and he said it was quite um, important at the time because it was the first time that an African-American man had a starring role in a TV series, not as like a kind of, you know, one-and-done guest appearance sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that that's cool. But uh, So this does Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson, and... Eddie Murphy is a boxer who is um, a, a very famous boxer who and successful boxer who Owen Wilson as a spy needs to work with to get in this private party so they can find out where a hidden stealth bomber is that it's been hidden by a, a, an arms dealer called Gunders, played by obviously, yes, Malcolm McDowell. And Famke Hansen is Owen Wilson's love interest in this. Um, and she's also a spy. Oh, it, it's a, he, Owen Wilson's an interesting spy because he's kind of he really wants to do well, but he kind of fumbles through things. He's kind of like got his heart in the right place, but he's clearly not fully up to scratch. Um, and he's always like a sort of second choice. Um, and this film really didn't do well. But if you're a fan of Eddie Murphy films, Eddie Murphy is like on form in this. It's a it's a twelve. Sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> so it's not full tilt, Eddie Murphy. But if you look at the other films he was doing at the time here, where it's like, holy man, Bowfinger's okay, and like Flubber. And you know when he started to go on that real family-friendly phase? Mm, this yes, stands out as like a, a glimpse at the old Eddie Murphy. And, oh, all right. and and it's also quite a nice balance. So it's a typical spy film. So you know, And of course, wonderfully dated gadgets now, because this is like 20-odd years ago. But Owen Wilson, because he's got that sort of lazy Texas drawl, and then against Eddie Murphy's fast talking character it is like a nice dynamic um and there's there's one line in it there's, it's kind of a throwaway line that really really tickled me where Eddie Murphy's just not listening to Owen Wilson and Owen Wilson is trying to save his life and trying to get the mission done and like get them both through and Eddie Murphy's so easily distracted and just impressed by wealth and stuff that he's constantly putting them both and the mission at risk and at one point Owen Wilson as they're running away says it's, he said, it's like you're actually a double agent who's trying to work against me, and like out of exasperation, and it really tickled me. Um, <laughs> and, and he says it in that kind of like hushed Texan way, because um, he's so exasperated with him. So yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it, and and I think it's because I, I chucked it on, like I think Faye and Axel were in bed, and I thought, oh, I don't want to put on like a full-on horror. I, I was like e- eating really late, add some wine left, and I thought, I'll just check something easy on. And I really enjoyed it. Like I, I, I wouldn't. I enjoyed it more than I clearly would have at the time because it would have just been lost, you know. And I would have had such mm-hmm. high expectations from Eddie Murphy. But knowing now, looking back at where Eddie Murphy went and how much we kind of lost him to, like, 
either just bad how much worse it could become yeah like was that was that film pluto mars whatever that was called and norberts and meet dave and all that shit one whatever it was nutty professor nutty professor is it was a fat professor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what he was in family-friendly phase. He made that that you or PG film. Oh, that was it. Fat cunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know the one, Rupert. No, nutty professor. Fat, fat, fat. No, nutty professor. Um, <laughs> he, he was quite weighty in it. Yes, I think it was a thirty-six inch waist in that one. Um, so yeah, if you want to watch this, I watched it on um, on Prime, and it, it's. It's I've fun. I had fun with it, and uh, and Fam Kiansen. I don't care what you say, Rupert. She's pretty. <laughs> I, I I won't argue with that assessment. Um, okay. What would it was on Prime? Yes. I might have to watch this. Um, I do like I, like after watching Haunted Mansion and uh, Owen Wilson was best thing about it. And I know what you mean. Is that is that. No one else delivers those sorts of lines, those kind of deadpan lines in that really hushed way. Like it's just yeah. such, dis- such disbelief. He almost has to whisper it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of scenes in this. Like there's one where they're in a sewer hiding and they bond, and the whole, even actually, even the the whole flirtatious thing where Eddie Murphy's like feeding him lines to say to Fan Piansen is quite funny. But if like if and to be honest, if any other two people were in this film, it probably wouldn't have been as good. And I I can barely remember the plot now and other actors in it. I just remember liking them together and thinking, oh do you know what? If this was like a another Shanghai noon, you know, Shanghai Nights rush hour kind of mismatch pairing, I could have probably gone with another one, I think. You remember Malcolm McDowell's in it? Is he? Does he settle on an accent at any point? Or? No, he's pretty, he's too busy walking around asking people if he looks like Terence Stamp. Actually, <laughs> um, another film that's on Prime is Time Cop. <laughs> it's been a while since I watched that. Um, well, not now because I watched it like two weeks ago. Um, Jean Claude Van Damme, his wife is murdered in 1994. Ten years later, in the future of 2004. He's working as a time cop uh, who is a cop who travels through time, stopping ne'er-do-wells who are traveling through time to commit crime. Uh, And his main target is Ron Silver, last seen in Blue Steel a few weeks ago, uh, who plays a senator who's basically going back in time to gain money and influence to ensure he becomes president in the future. And... Turns out he may indeed be involved in the death of Jean-Claude Van Damme's wife. So, for a start, this is actually a comic book movie, which I didn't realise. And it, um, it's oh, pretty wow. much um, it's pretty much the height of Jean-Claude Van Damme's mainstream popularity, I suppose. It grossed mm. over a hundred million. I, I always budget. thought the Universal was the highest, but yeah, the, the, I remember always being shocked by that because I remember Universal as being like a bigger film, but just mm. to me personally, I think. Um. It's directed by Peter Hyams, who's something of a classy mm-hmm. journeyman director, I would say. He's made a handful of like quite high-quality films, which may ape better movies. I'm not sure. There's Outland was was good. Uh, uh, I mean, it looked a lot like Alien, but it he, was very oh, Come good. on, he made The Monster Squad, which is fantastic. Uh, he made two, 2010, which, of course, was a, a fine sequel to 2001. Um, didn't really have much to do with the original film. Um, 
And sudden death. He made sudden death and end of yes. days, which ties us in nicely to that chat. Nice, nice. At Time Cop does have elements of Terminator and Universal Soldier as well. Um, he also made one legitimately great movie called Capricorn One. Um, in I guess the early eighties, which is about a faked Mars landing. Oh geez. Okay. Anyway, but Time Cop, yes, thunderous the average, really, but it does have some charms. Has some quite serviceable fight scenes, I'd say. It has a sense of humour. He does the splits twice, <laughs> and I think yeah, you do see his ass as well. Yeah. Um, and it does have a certain emotional warmth, especially between uh John Claude and his boss. And I think it made me think, actually. The appeal of Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, the USP of JCBD, if you like, is his emotional availability, I'd say, compared with a lot of other action movie stars. When you think about like AWOL, Lionheart, AWOL, Absent Without Leave, um, or like the homoeroticism in Bloodsport and stuff, there's always like a slight vulnerability to him. Um, Or the campiness in um, Double Team as well. Oh my god, yeah, what a, what an amazing! Movie. Just trying to think, what's what's his best movie? Is it AWOL or is it Double Team? Not sure. Was should it Double we Impact? Talk, it's called. Which one's should it? we Double Impact? Sorry, yeah, Double Team yeah, is yeah. with Dennis Rodman, which certainly yeah. isn't his best film. Shall we talk about JCVD's best film in the next episode? Oh, I think that'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, okay. Might have to revisit some of them. Anyway, this is a ninety-minute time travel movie, which means one does not dare delve into the logic of its premise and it doesn't make any sense under scrutiny but i will take pace and brevity every time yeah in fact it's almost necessary when it comes to any time travel conceit to be honest like what um, you haven't seen primer have you mate (laughs) jesus that film um that's baffling um the final sequence of time cop (laughs) it is full of peril but it is also ridiculously dark. But overall, yes, I mean, I've called it Thunderous Average, but I do like this movie. It's a very easy watch. You're smiling at the sleeper scenes more than you do frowning at the lack of logic. So I'd say job done in that regard. It's, it's an enjoyable movie. Yeah, it's a film I haven't seen for a, a very long time. Um, I do remember there were graphic novels based on, but I thought they were based on it, but they obviously um, the film was based off of them, so I might have to pick those up actually because I'm going through a bit of a Judge Dread Renaissance at the moment. Um, Did you uh, are you a fan of Slain? Is it called? I think I am. I've got a feeling I, I mix up Slain and Conan, and and I, I think I've got a Slain one, but mm-hmm. I feel like I need to spend more time with them really. Yeah, I so I just saw this beautiful like special edition that was going on amazon pre-order and i didn't know whether you were a fan or not oh, I, but anyway i feel like with those i would need a good old thick one so i could just say right mm-hmm. i'll pick up the odd one random like give give me volumes one to ten so i can just dive in i don't yeah. want to you know single volume because i hate that when you when you see like some random i don't know you you find some bloody thing called silent hunter and you take a chance on it and it turns up and it's like volumes four to six halfway through a massive narrative and you think oh, oh this is bad i don't know what i'm doing so yeah we'll have to buy some more slain i need to read more graphic novels really um a quick two minute trash in from me because i watched evil dead rise um at your suggestion oh, yeah. um and <clears throat> it just sort of um, i know you really enjoyed it and i just wanted to uh say that i 
I I I enjoyed this a lot. Um, the the thing that got me though is, it, it, I was wondering right when you were talking about this. If you think about the Evil Dead films, they're an odd, they're an odd mix, aren't they? Because yes, pardon me. The second one is effectively a remake of the first one. The third one is a, like a comedy horror, and then yes. there's a TV show which I've never seen, so I can't comment on the. But I, I think it leads more towards the comedy horror again. Mm-hmm. Then you have a reboot in 2013, which was not there was no comedy. It was quite horrific, and now you've done this one. So, and I was thinking, this is a, a franchise, and I think I asked you when you were reviewing it um, last last week. Uh, by the way, everyone, we say last week. It's it could be through. It's the last episode. I realize how often I say last week or this week. It's just um, time it manipulation. It takes place I, within a week. I watched Primer too many times, and now I can just manipulate <laughs> time. Um, and I was when you were talking about the about Evil Dead Rise last week. I thought I'm not sure what tone. Like, you know, when you watch a Friday the 13th film or a, any other long-lasting horror franchise, there's there's a tone and certain expectations. Usually the tone is is bad and the film is poor. But with Evil Dead Rise, I was watching it and I thought, yeah, there is there is a tone, isn't there? There is like a – there's certain facial expressions and sound cues – yeah, and certain movements that are very Evil Dead-y and, and I felt like I could very place it. Was, yeah, and I was watching it thinking, oh yeah, this does feel like an Evil Dead film. The main it wasn't really a problem. Like I was the the, the gore aspects and stuff was all fine, but I couldn't fully understand why the main demon just couldn't go through a door or climb round the building, go into a window, and it felt like for the sake of tension. The, the, the powers of the demon are kind of at different times underplayed and overplayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the powers uh, of the humans, really, because, I mean, I'm sure there are other things they could have done to escape or, I don't know, get help. But I didn't, uh, it doesn't really stop long enough to really think about it. Yeah, there, there's um, the Bruce Campbell cameo I didn't realise was the priest when he, like, uh, the, the yes. start when he gets him and he's playing the records. And the things that happen and the things that are said when he's playing those records, he he's unplugging it and he's looking at it. And I just kept on saying to the screen, lift the needle, lift the needle, which is the only thing he didn't do. And oh, they didn't do rather. Sorry, my bad. Um, but I just thought you would if if I had that on and those things started happening, I would turn that off and I would put it away. Yeah. <laughs> so quickly slide it back yeah. into sheath yeah I'll pop it up next to my Wheatus album on the shelf <laughs> but um they've released a Christmas song thank god um so yeah I yeah I with you I think Evil Dead Rise was it was exciting and Evil Dead enough for me to think yeah I'll I'll watch uh I'll, I'm happy to I'm happy that this is the the right tone and if they like Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi said are going to produce yeah. a, you know a, a film every two or three years like yeah I feel like this is something that's got legs. I, and I think it could be a good platform for up and coming uh, directors, directors uh, yeah. yeah, to kind of. I mean, I, I wasn't a fan of the evil, the last Evil Dead one, but I mean, it was well made. It just didn't feel Evil Deady to me. It felt like yeah, that was my, that was my concern with this. Yeah, it was a bit too vicious and dark. But this one, yeah, I think it just leaned into the comedy a little bit more, the silliness. So I'm, I was happy with that. But yeah, I think it could be a good platform for yeah. 
new directors coming through. So I yeah, think this is, this could be the first film as well where I've seen a, like a, a a neutral gender neutral or non-binary character where it's absolutely not a part of the plot. It's just yes. a given, which which was quite cool. Yeah, it was just there. It, yes, it was just there. But yes, it was, it was there. <laughs> <laughs> that character was just there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So that is worth a watch. Thumbs up from Ebert and Moulton. Um I watched was that that's on Netflix, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Also on Netflix is The Killer, which is David Finch's latest film. Well, this is going to tie into I haven't seen it, but I, this ties into the next one I'm going to talk about. So I'm intrigued okay. what you're going to say about this. It's written by Andrew Kevin Walker of Seven and Eight Millimeter. I think he wrote that as well. Uh, and it, again, is actually based on a graphic novel series, French graphic novel series. It focuses almost solely on Michael Fassbender's character, who's a nameless hitman. And there's this very long opening scene where he he's sort of planning to take out a target across the street with a sniper rifle. And he, and he prepares to take a shot while and you're introduced to this internal monologue, which is talking us through his thought processes, basically. And he has this amusing way of making everything just a bit mundane. And he's just constantly coming out with these endless, like, middle-of-the-road proverbs, almost as a way of, like, grounding himself. Um, anyway, the hit goes wrong, and so he goes on the run. But then some loved ones are attacked, basically, and he commits to a revenge mission. He's basically working his way to the top uh, and trying to get to the person ultimately responsible for the decision uh. to have... I, I love these kinds of films, kind of like yeah. payback. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the person ultimately responsible to have him wiped, really. So he's just on his way up the chain. And it's split into a series of chapters, almost like different levels from a Hitman game, really. And he takes a different approach to perform each hit, if you like. It's a very Fincher film, stylistically. It's very beautiful. It's got very atmospheric lighting, subtle camera moves, punctuated by very swooping virtuoso type shots and just incredible editing the sound design how's the sound design uh yeah um, amazing especially because a lot of the film is just him and it'll just be him like dismantling a rifle or whatever it's just or it'll just be him in like a completely like soulless hotel suite or something you just got this kind of low hum in the background just nothingness <laughs> but he does watch this it's quite idiosyncratic. He he just only ever listens to the Smiths when he's out and about. And he dresses like he says this himself. He dresses like a German tourist and listens to the Smiths wherever he goes. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and it is an action movie, but in an unusual sense, I would say there aren't actually many fight scenes or chase scenes as such. But everything is about like his physical actions, the actions he's taking, like however tiny those actions are. It could be like the management of a weapon or the stealing of a key card or or just taking a walk to scope out a target. But so it is action, but on a very kind of small scale, which means that in the odd moments, it does really kick off. It has a lot of impact. And I suppose it's reminiscent of do you remember that film, The American uh, with George Clooney? It's kind yeah, of a bit yeah. like that, but a brisker and a bit more fun. There is actually an amazing fist fight in the middle of the movie, which is very visceral and clear and almost comedic in the way that they're trying to just take each other out. So that was fun. The 
I did actually like the central character is actually quite impenetrable, even though he's talking constantly to himself. But it's almost like I, I found it quite laborious at first because his narration is verbose, but it just deliberately gives nothing away, really. It's more like he's just muttering to himself to focus on the job. We're not already given any motivation other than the simple revenge that's shown to us. But as you as a film wears on, you do become more and more absorbed, partly because of the simple pleasure, I suppose, of the procedural aspect of his job. And mm. partly because of the variety of the hits themselves, but also because you really don't have any idea of where it will end up. And I like the ending. It's simple, yet it's kind of profound. And it says something, I think, about the nature of meaning and purpose. Like, it's like, do we do what we do as we're working towards this ultimate plateau of happiness? Or is it the doing of the thing itself that brings us the contentment? And it's quite a nice way of kind of finishing it off. And Michael Fassman is brilliant. And there are a couple of memorable cameos from Tilda Swinton and Arliss Howard as well, who some folks may remember from Full Metal Jacket. It's nice to see him back on screen. Uh, but yeah, I, my advice would be to watch this film and expect a slow burn. Like, And I think if you yeah. find yourself zoning out after about 20 minutes and just stick with it, I think it has like the cold cynicism of a good 70s thriller but with the style and production values of um, of modern cinema so i like this yeah that's that sounds like it's up my street actually i say that as i've literally got my hand on a copy of the conversation gene hackman <laughs> so yeah I, I need to, this could set me off on, a, on another a journey i yeah i i do watch that and and you saying that is kind of <clears throat> yeah sorry <clears throat> A few days ago, I had a free night and I really fancy watching a film. And I was sitting on the couch and I was just sort of going through Amazon and sorry, going through Prime and Netflix thinking, right, what should I watch? And I saw The Killer. And I thought, oh, I like Michael Fassbender. I really, I'm, I really know I, I, I'll enjoy this. And then I saw, um, what was it? It was the Agatha Christie one, the new one with Kenneth Branagh. Oh, yeah. And I thought, oh, I enjoyed that. I thought, oh, I see, that's going to be like a nice high quality film, lots of actors, and it's going to be a nice little whodunit. And and then I was scrolling through, and I thought, why, why do I have this calling <laughs> away from those films, deep, deep into Prime? And I scrolled across until I found a film called The Bronx Executioner. <laughs> and it was 3.1 and all the reviews said oh this is just a rip off half lazy remake of another Italian film from 1982 with half of the film replaced with stock footage and I thought why why (laughs) why do I feel the need (laughs) to push away all of this quality and watch films like this and and, and I said but I'm going to I'm going you're, to. You're constantly looking for the Italian American Godfrey O. That's what I you're looking know. for. Maybe it was. Maybe it was the call of Godfrey, and <laughs> and I, I I put it on and it started off just bang slap cut to a bloke running through a jungle and someone chasing him, and then someone getting shot and then two men having a really laborious conversation. I thought turn it off, Brett. Just put something else on, and I stuck with it. And I'm not entirely sure. I'm glad I did. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so 
I have a feeling we've attempted to watch this before. After, oh, really? uh, yeah, after one of our legendary like action movie days, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but we were so trashed, and it was just like so this astonishingly is... amateurish. I think we just couldn't cope with it. Well, so I'm luckily... glad you put, you pushed through this time. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I, I I don't know what it is. I, I genuinely, I just something about these films that just attracts me because you think I can't be. I think it's because I think it can't be that bad. It's going to be a bit of a hidden gem. And uh, anyway, so <laughs> yeah, so this is basically a remake of a film from 1982, starring Margie Newton. <laughs> um, and the original is called, I don't know if I can pronounce it. Uh, oh no, it, oh, it's called the Bronx Executioner here. It's it's the, an Italian title. So what someone has done is called it by its English name treating it as like a sort of sequel slash remake but they've just used a lot of footage from the original and then added extra scenes and stock footage wow. not unlike death stalker 2 in some respects um which i've also fucking sat through of course i have and um so it starts off with yeah a bloke running through some woods and i thought it was going to be like a, a nowhere to run kind of thing mm-hmm. and and then he gets sort of you see it, it's an awkward appeal if you imagine this right if, if if me and you are making a film and, I, and you're running through the woods and I'm hunting you, but I'm also filming it, but I'm also nice. holding a gun up in front of the camera and aiming Ooh. it at you. So so you're <laughs> running from right to left and I'm filming you running right to left, looking at you through the camera. So you're, But then also trying to hold a shotgun up and aim at you. So so the shotgun, because the person filming this is is trying to focus on the shot and keeping the person in the center of frame. Yeah. I hope you're. I hope you're listening, Godfrey. Ho. The shotgun is just wavering off in all directions because it's just there. It's like, oh look, I'm aiming at him, and this goes on for far too long. And then the person with the shotgun just gets killed by a guy who literally just says, "People call me the Black Man." He is probably the blackest man I've ever met. His name's Woody Strode, uh, an actor called Woody Strode. Woody Strode, I remember. Yeah, Spartacus. And he starts talking to this guy, who turns out is the someone who's come to try and be the new sheriff of this. I won't even say town. It's a quarry. It's a quarry in which this film is made. And because I want to be the sheriff of the quarry. <laughs> and Woody Strode says, well, <coughs> let me tell you about this quarry. And he just it's just a vocal, just a blurge of explaining. He's like, right. So we're humans and I am the sheriff of the quarry. And I have to keep the peace between the androids and the humanoids because they're yeah. constantly at war. But you can't tell them apart because they all look like humans. Key plot point, because neither can we. So all of the action means nothing throughout the rest of the film. And he says, so, you know, you haven't got what it takes. And then it cuts to the humanoids led by a, a guy called Dakar, um, who is like a big bloody, he's a brick shit out of a bloke. And they're all standing around holding like spears and clubs. And he's like, right, come on, let's let's bloody get, let's kill these androids once and for all. So they go into like a disused paper mill and and then they, they go through it and then they say, oh, there's no one here. But then they run out the back of it into another quarry. And we see the androids for the first time led by um, Margie Newton, who's a burner. And they are armed with just like high powered weaponry, like, like just rifles, and, and they just mow them all down. Like, because of course you're standing there with like like a club, not even like a bow and arrow, and they just get mown down. And then as the humanoids drive off, they basically say, "Well, that, that didn't go very well, did it?" And, and then it cuts back 
after that to um, Woody Strode and this new sheriff, who kind of looks like a cross between Michael Bean and Taika Waititi. And right. and it's all in Italian, so it's all dubbed poorly. And he's still explaining, you know, blah, blah, blah. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never be like trained enough to, to look, keep these apart. You know, they only, they only respect me. They won't respect you, but I'm tired and I do need to retire. And then he says, I'll train you. And it cuts to the most wonderful training montage I've ever encountered. Right. It, it starts off with him hanging off, hanging off <laughs> like a, um, like a, a gantry mm. whilst, Woody Strode leans over the gantry with a block of wood and tries to hit his fingers. So he's just constantly shuffling his hands left and right very slightly, just to get the way this thing. And he does it for ages. And then he eventually just lets go out of tiredness. And then Woody Strode's like, well, that was shit, wasn't it? And then <laughs> and then it's just like him hitting him with a bit of wood and the guy trying to crawl away. And then he, he's lying on his back, crawling under barbed wire. Crawling under barbed wire really... If you imagine the barbed wire is really low to the floor, so he's on his back and he's Ooh. shuffling himself along with his shoulders on sand just to get under it. And then he gets to the other end of the barbed wire and Woody Strode's like, well, I was shit, would you be dead by now? Saying such vague comments, like, when would that ever need to happen? And so then the sheriff goes back to his the cabin and falls asleep. And when he wakes up, there's a note from Woody Strode saying, I was just being a bit of a tosser. You've passed, mate. High five. I'm off. Never see him again for the rest of the film. Yeah. And so he takes over as the new sheriff and he kind of befriends this Dakar, this leader of the androids, uh, sorry, the humanoids. Of course, one of these gunfights throughout this film, of which there are many, it's just a load of people in kind of Mad Maxian clothing, just having really clumsy fights. But because they all look the same, it, you can't tell who's what. There's no, you've got no, like, what's the word? No dice in the game. You're like, it's just people fighting and they all look the same. I don't know what's happening. Um, and it all boils down to the car suddenly driving around it cuts to him suddenly driving around with someone else in the car with him and he says ah oh, i'm gonna look for the woman and right. his friend says oh it's a very godfrey ho type line isn't it yeah uh, and they keep well, at one point they break into a facility and then they, he's a quick get all the stuff put the stuff in the bag. we need the stuff and like there's no we need to give it a pull and then needs to hand it over to reginald yeah because Morecambe needs to give it to Bertie. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff. Like, it's calling things stuff and then putting things in bags. And, and then it turns out there's, there's like a, a, a protracted rape sequence where a woman gets raped and shot. There is. And, and then Dakar finds her and it turns out this woman he loves, even though his friend says, she'll never love you. You're a humanoid. And she's a human and they are androids. And like, just stop saying these words, please. Um, So then there's this assault on this castle. And... It just the assault of this castle it goes on for ages and a then castle. a castle because it's right. filmed it's supposed to bear in mind it's called the bronx executioner yes called, i was gonna say a, no it's a castle in italy at the end of it and they never, all yeah that's true it never stopped the ninth configuration did it, is that what it's <laughs> yes it is uh they do this assault in this castle and it's all really tense and there's a lot of fist fights and gunshots and like and eventually they get to this room and then they shoot this console and i thought it was the end of the film mm. and then and then the sheriff turns around to Dakar and says well okay that's taken out their security so they won't know we're here and i thought fucking hell i thought that was the lead to the end of the film um <laughs> okay okay um and then there's just the androids and the 
humanoids going at each other in like fist fights. It's so full of re- repeated footage, end game esque repeated footage, Ooh. not that one. And I, I and then it just kind of ends and smash cuts to the credits. And I thought if someone had told me that Godfrey Ho had been <laughs> given money and just filmed and made a film in it, I would fully believe it. It was. It felt unique enough for me to seek out more by the director Vanyu Omichi, because it wasn't it wasn't total nonsense. There's a scene in this film where someone pulls out a phone, and he pulls the aerial out, and I didn't think the aerial was ever going to stop coming out. It was, oh my god, it was it was longer than bloody Oliver Reed's receipt at Oddbins, and it just yeah, the whole film is is odd, is crap, but it's got mm-hmm. that. Random, <laughs> that random factor like when you've got this this supposed robot driving around saying I'm going to find the woman and then someone else says but she doesn't fancy you <laughs> and then she just gets murdered and he's like oh she's dead there's something about that like simplicity of delivery that I think yeah I'm enjoying this <laughs> I'm having yeah, a good yeah. time so I'm going to seek out more Vanio Amici and hopefully he's the Italian Godfrey Ho um, I think Right, okay, I think the film we attempted to watch might have been 1990, The Bronx Warriors, made in 1982. Because 1990 is part of the title, obviously. 1990, (sighs) colon, The Bronx Warriors. That's also on Prime, so I'm going to have to watch that tonight, clearly. Uh, Margie Newton, by the way, um, the, 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 the main sort of leader of the androids in this film, I was watching it, and because I was, it was so baffling anyway, I thought that it was just different women wearing like a similar dress but when i went on imdb afterwards it says no it's her with footage cut from three different eras and three different films spliced together like one pre and post boob job and she's nude and the most latter of the film and and she's got different hairstyles and i thought yeah and that's so that's what you're dealing with but you do get to see woody strode he was a magnificent specimen um Okay, what's it called again? The Bronx Executioner, or Il Justicier del Bronx. Okay. And obviously it's on Prime. Okay. <laughs> Not even going to ask. Uh, also on Prime, Tropic Thunder. Hey, nice. Which came out in 2008. At the crest, I would say, of the Ben Stiller comedy wave. Post Zoolander, Starsky and Hutch, Dodgeball, Meet the Fockers, that stuff. I guess at a time when mainstream comedies were still willfully offensive and crass. So it's about a bunch of prima donna Hollywood actors who enter the jungle to shoot a war movie, guerrilla style. But unbeknownst to them, the war is real and they're fighting for real against the local militia. So there's clearly a big element of the three amigos here. I would say. In fact, it's the same conceit, really, just on a bigger scale and more of a focus on war movie tropes. And it is actually a big budget movie, which is something that can often work against comedies, I would say. But I think it works here because it makes the war scenes more over the top and true to the genre. And so the the satire works better, I would say. But it, in terms of comedy, it is a very, very mixed bag. Like there's some really brilliant stuff. Anything with Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> is just perfect. Um, Nick, some Nick kind, Nolte as well, yeah. Nick Nolte, yes. Any scene with Nick Nolte. Uh, there's some kind of funny stuff in it, like the whole thing about Ben Stiller going native 
And there's also some just not very funny stuff at all, like Jack Black going through drug withdrawal. So a very mixed bag. And yes, Nick Nolte is hilarious in this film. Although I, the whole subplot between him and Danny McBride is almost entirely irrelevant, but it doesn't matter because he's brilliant. And I think everyone at the time certainly enjoyed Tom Cruise, like self-mocking yeah. uh, in this film at the time. But now looking back, I didn't, I forgot that he, I remember it being a cameo, but it's really not. It's actually, a, it's more like a cameo stretch to the point where it's no longer funny. So yeah, this time around, he's, I actually found... He's, he's peppered throughout the film, isn't he? Yeah, he's... For, I, I I swear, when I first watched it, I, I, I thought he just rocked up in one scene, but no, he's properly in the movie. But yes, this time around, I actually found Jay Baruchel most funny because he's the one in the kind of squad of actors who is very down-to-earth, and he's got a very downplayed, deadpan, disbelieving delivery, which contrasts, actually, with the other performances really well. So... Got something a little bit different out of it this time. And overall, I think it is enjoyable, less consistently funny, perhaps, than, say, Zoolander, but also less tediously quotable than a lot of those other movies, like, dare I say it, Anchorman, but um, from the time. But, yeah, it's, like, it's still still pretty funny, yeah. Um, yes, and it hasn't got... Maybe it has got a kind of cult following, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's not memeified in the way that something like Zoolander or especially Anchorman is to the point where all the funny bits are no longer funny. Yeah. But you, ca- you can't help that though, can you? You can't help that the no, film has it's been just dissected natural... by social media. It's, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that with Anchorman. Like, again, if I, I'm assuming at some point you, when you have children, you kind of revisit these films. Um, and realise how offensive they probably are. <laughs> especially by then. But um, <laughs> but with but yeah, with Tropic Thunder, I watched it, and I find this a lot with comedies, and, and we've talked about this before in the podcast, where the hit rate is often just not there for me. And and I and I, I maybe I misremember a lot of comedies as like having huge gaps where I thought, no, that didn't do it for me. That didn't do it for me. That didn't do it for me. And I think I just have this expectation of, of wanting to laugh all the time. Like if if I want to watch a comedy, I want to be consistently laughing. Yeah. Um, And I think that's why when I'm in that kind of mood, I'll gravitate more towards TV shows. I like because Uh, it's, it's more of a hit rate and a shorter sort of span. Yes. I'd agree with that. Yeah. It is very up and down this film, but the good bits are brilliant. Is it up and, and down I, like my bum in bed, Rupert? Hey, is, it up, is it up and down like a manic depressive on a trampoline? Up and down like Jean-Claude Van Damme's bum in the sex scene in Time Cop. Needless sex scene. Brilliant. Good. Obviously, I've got maximum risk on Laserdisc. And uh, there's a scene that where he, he gives Natasha Kinski a kick in over his sink. He gets his ass out so fast. It's like when the, when the director goes, action, he cannot wait to get his ass out. Like he's got Natasha Kinski in front of him and he's so focused on getting his ass out for the camera that he's like, wait there for a minute. Let me get my ass out first and then uh, and then we'll deal with the rest of this. Um, I suppose the bit actually I didn't mention about Tropic Thunder is, of course, that Robert Downey Jr. is like in blackface playing in like an African-American because he's such a like a a method actor. He's just so in character. He can't get out of the character. And it is actually quite brilliant 
because I think crucially it's because they've got an actual like black man there with him to kind of challenge him on it. And I just there's one really funny scene where the the black guy's like saying, "Why are you still dressed like that and speaking like that?" Basically. And like Robert Downey Jr.'s character goes, he's like, I just don't know. I just can't get out of it. And he's like, he just cannot crack. He can't get out of the character. And they have like a kind of like the back and forth. And at the end of the scene, like Robert Downey Jr. So it says to the other guy, the black guy, so we good? And the black guy's like, no, no, we're really not, actually. <laughs> it's just that's how the scene ends. It's like completely unresolved. That was funny. Yeah, sounds funny, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so worth a rewatch. Funny the next film I'm going to talk about. But yes, worth a watch? Yes, just about. Well. But, but don't hold back watching 1990 The Bronx Warriors for them. Which we should. We need another. We need to. Well, first start, we need my, my birthday night. We'll sort that out. We'll talk about yes, that offline. Yes, yes, but, yes. Um. I had another night recently where I was, um, because I've been ill, I've just been having like really weird sleeping patterns. And I, I had another couple of hours where I could watch a film. And once again, I was scrolling through Prime and I was scrolling through Netflix. And I was looking at these films that would clearly be good and nice to talk about that I'd enjoy. And then my brain says, no, no, Brit, but that's not what caught, that's not what drives you, is it? That's not what, that's not what stirs the fruit of your loins. Uh, and so I settled on Crooked, a film I assumed was from 1997 also the awful title soft target right i worked in a video shop and i watch a lot of mid-level action films this was released in 2006 i thought it was 97 because it used that kind of typewritten font from the mid 90s right listen to these actors right it stars don the dragon wilson Mm -hmm. oliver gruner fred williamson gary boosie and Martin Cove, right? So, I I thought I Fred Williamson's in the Bronx Warriors play. Of course he is. Along with Vic I, Morrow, who and that was his penultimate film stunt, before he was. That was a stunt he, man of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, he's the one who's killed in the Twilight Zone yeah. debacle. Um, anyway, go on. I yeah, so I thought, well, surely, surely, and I remembered my my sort of um my Excalibur uh, of trying to find a Don the Dragon Wilson film that was palatable on any level. And I watched this and unfortunately it was just really flat. That's the only word I can think to describe it. It was, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some, I'll, I'll, I'll completely spoil the film. I'll give you some sort of highlights over a TMT. It starts off with Fred Williamson and uh, another actor uh, in a, in a hotel room. And they've got a, They've got a guy they're looking after who's obviously an accountant for the mob who is just minted and he's just got to keep him safe in witness protection in this motel until like the court case the next day. So you know what's coming out and the mob are going to attack and kill them all. He gets two prostitutes over. He keeps on calling, like saying, oh, call me daddy. I've never understood that. It's just really creepy to me. He's like, oh, daddy, daddy's hungry. And they're like, is daddy hungry? It's like, oh, that's creepy, that is. Um, And one of the prostitutes thinks this is weird, goes into the toilet to spew, (laughs) as we all would. And... While she's in there dry heaving, a load of people turn up from the mob, kill everyone, including Fred Williamson, sadly. And then she finds a key that everyone's looking for that has got all the money he's embezzled. And she goes on the run. And Don Wilson is a cop who 
Fred Williamson was like a father to him, so he's trying to get to the bottom of who arranged this hit so he can kill them or bring them to justice whilst protecting this woman. Oliver Gunner is his friend, or is he his friend, who's been assigned to the case with him, and it's like, he's very mysterious, he's a very bad actor, his politics are extremely right-wing in real life, what's going to happen? And the I, I title just, of the film is Crooked, right? Yes, yes. It seems to give away somewhat. Well, this no, well, this is, this is the thing, because you've got Martin. Co- well, so Oliver Gunner is a really aloof, and he's like Don the Dragon Boss is obviously a straight up cop who's just there to try and get to the like. He's like, who killed my father? Effectively, my father figure, my mentor. Yeah. Gary Busey is. Oh, Gary. <laughs> He is the the sort of superintendent or whatever, you know, the chief who's yeah. telling them what to do. And then Oliver Grin, the partner that he doesn't know if he can trust or not because they don't like each other at all. Martin Cove appears yes. to be an undercover cop who seems to just spend his time lurking around corners, listening into conversations. And then when they realize he's listening, he's like, oh, I was just walking past. And then you'll just toddle off whistling nonchalantly. So classic undercover skills. <laughs> on his cv the ability to walk away whistling (laughs) honestly um i think uh classic undercover undercover skills nonchalantly whistling peep around corners i love those hamsters rupert i love them with my heart and my soul and when they died um so i (laughs) i was watching this and it's boring. It's a boring film. He falls in love with you. They 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 hustle down people getting into some clumsy fist fights and stuff. There's a scene that is unscripted, very clearly unscripted, where um Gary Busey sits down next to him at like a barbecue to sort of offer some pills of wisdom yeah. and say, Oh no, you lost your father. And then he goes into his I don't know what they're called, but where in real life Gary he has those things where it's like greed and it's it's giving redemption easily blah, blah you know he does those oh, i don't know really yeah yeah so like an um, acronym type thing and, yeah an acronym sort of thing and it's uh, anyway he's in this and he's, he's saying this is a time you know it's not about him it's about you but you you can't be selfish you have to be selfless and he's saying all these he's just saying one right. thing saying the opposite and it, the scene is obviously Gary Boosie's idea and it goes on for too long and Don the Dragon Wilson does not know how to react. He's just looking off into the <laughs> distance and nodding, swigging beer and looking down and then nodding and thinking, is he ever going to stop talking and is he ever going to get to a point more saliently? Um, so anyway, yeah, so it gets to the end of the film and it ends up in a plane yard, a shootout in the plane yard, as all good films do. I look at you, Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man, and there's a big shootout. They realise who the two Ben Coppers are. And Martin Cove and Don the Dragon Wilson kind of hide behind this fuselage and they see each other. And Don Wilson's like, what are you doing here? You know, can I trust you? And Martin Cove, an hour and a half into the film, decides to reveal, look, I was actually your father's best friend. And I know you were his son, but I didn't know if I could trust you. But now that I know that I've listened in and these two people are clearly the dicky ones, I'm on your side. All is forgiven. And they do this kind of smirky, like, nod. They both spin out of the fuselage shooting either way and martin cove gets shot in the chest and killed instantly (laughs) (laughs) and 
And the only nod to that actually happening is when the shotgun blast happens, it cuts to um, Don the Dragon Wilson and he kind of like looks over his shoulder and sort of sh- like shrugs like, no, I don't know what that was, and carries on doing the, the film. And I thought, what a lazy way to insert tension. Having a character that kind of smokes and peeps around corners and then reveals something he could have revealed at the start because Don the Dragon Wilson is the only person pushing this forward when everyone else, all the other crooked cops are trying to close it down. He's clearly the very innocent party. And at the end, you say, oh, by the way, I could have just helped you throughout this whole thing. And then you get killed and never mentioned. And <laughs> it, it just feels like it just felt like nothing. Um, so don't watch Crooked slash Soft Target. So we haven't found that elusive good Don the Dragon Wilson film. I said you say that, but this is the most watchable Don the Dragon Wilson film because it's, it's actually boring. like it's boring and functionally made, but it's still the best so far. Three point wow. five out of ten IMDb. <laughs> what is that on you know what it's on i know what it's on it's on apple tv no, it's on it's disney on... plus no it's on prime it's on prime um okay i have actually watched a film on disney plus uh called jingle all the way before you carry on I, i'm looking forward to this martin cove was in a film called the optimist right and if you go to right. if you go to his wikipedia page and then you, mm. the second picture down this Wikipedia page, that face he's pulling. If someone said, oh, this is my friend, he's an optimist, you'd think he really does look like one. <clears throat> he's just got to, he just can't look friendly, can he? <laughs> um, so sorry, yes, jingle all the way. Um. Right. Okay, yes. Yes, this is, this, plus, this is a, deeply charmless mid-90s comedy with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, Arnie, plays a wealthy It's actually pronounced state. Sinbad. Oh, right, okay. So Arnold Sinbad plays a wealthy sales executive who's basically working seven days a week, but he's neglecting his young son. Uh, he's missing events and generally not being around. And when his son says that he wants a Turbo Man for Christmas... Arnie makes it his mission to obtain one of these elusive action men. And he travels all over the place, fighting other parents to get the toy, uh, whether that means like a riot in a toy store or or trying to obtain it from criminals or trying to steal it from his neighbor, etc. So he's desperate to get one of these Turbo Man dolls. And that's pretty much the, the plot. Um, and it has this amazingly like unsatirical attitude to christmas commercialism in this movie it never seems to step back and criticize these parents need to provide this plastic tat to their kids and it never really challenges the like the dynamic of parental competition it quite unironically implies that the main character's ugly amoral aggressive sales skills aren't inherently repugnant they're just being directed in the wrong place so instead of using his combative skills to like earn money and security for his family he should be using those skills to prove he's like a better dad than the neighbor that's what it seems to be saying but by the end despite the sentimental music and the hugs it still is a film that just makes you feel a bit grubby really i'd say on the plus side arnie does actually have good comic timing so there is that. His son, by the way, is played by Jake Lloyd, who would, of course, go and 
go on to star in The Phantom Menace before his life fell apart and he attacked his mum and crashed his car into a tree and then was committed to a facility. As oh, I thought you were going to say Jake Lloyd who would go on to become Christopher Lloyd in the Back of the Future films. I thought <laughs> <laughs> Literally made before this. Um, the, uh, my wife in real life was enraged by Arnie's wife in this film who's played by Rita Wilson. Mm. Um, <laughs> the way that my wife saw her was that her purpose in this film is to basically not work, complain about her husband, and then lead on the neighbour. <laughs> and uh, he's played by Phil Hartman, of course. Um, <laughs> she felt that, you know, the way that my wife saw it is that they they have this wonderful life, thanks almost entirely to Arnie's hard work. And the wife's endless criticisms of him are actually the root cause of this dynamic that makes him feel like his only value is providing material support. And it, again, completely unquestioningly just like presents this like it's completely normal. Anyway, the comedy itself is too over the top and absurd to be relatable to parents. So there's not even any pleasure in that. And of course, it's too morally repugnant anyway. Thing is. Arnie did actually star in an amusing and relatable film where he interacted with kids, which is, of course, Kindergarten Cop. But this is not on that level. It's extremely dated, obviously, because you just get the stuff online um, nowadays. And and actually, yeah, thinking about it, it's a good advert for modern life because you realise that, you know, all this stuff would be obtainable on eBay or, where, or wherever you really wanted to get it nowadays. And so you... All this ugly, like amoral madness would just not uh, not exist in this day and age. And that's a good thing. You know, there's a there's an alternative cut of this film where Jake Lloyd doesn't want Turbo Man. He's desperately trying to get a hold of Crazy Ivan on the Sega Saturn. (laughs) Is that uh, the one which is like 20 minutes long? 20 minutes long, and the frame rate, oof, my goodness, my goodness. One, one frame per minute. Um. So, yes, it, it's, uh, I've watched this, I think I have some like residual goodwill for this film. <laughs> but, sorry, Um. but I haven't watched it in a few years. I might watch it this year just to see how I find it, because you haven't mentioned Sinbad, who features quite prominently. It's yes. a postman, isn't it? Is he funny? Because he was no. in this film and he was in one other film where he f- like sort of uh, acts as a steps in as a dentist or something. I really don't know much about his um his career as you can tell, but he's not funny, is he? No, I I mean I, I is he a comedian? Was he a comedian? He's not funny in this. No, he is he's. Really he's always struck of, me as like a like a basketball player that did some films or NFL player that did some films. That's the vibe right. I get. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what his day job is, but he should stick to it because he's not funny in this. He's sort of like the main um, rival dad, I suppose. Well, one of the main rival dads. Um, Holy shit, he is whole... a comedian. Okay, that is sad. That's sad yeah. to read. Yeah. I wonder if I've thought this a few times. If I was ever at a a, a comedy show, which I would never be at, and the jokes were falling flat, I would just shout out, "This isn't your calling. Like, do something else. (laughs) Help them out." 
Oh, here we go. Sinbad genres, top of the list, observational comedy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Subjects, everyday life, self-deprecation, marriage, parenting. Oh, yeah. All the stuff. All the stuff I love. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, well. Do you remember... Do you remember ski yogurts? Yeah, they still make them. Mind yeah. you, if there was a comedian that just said in a really slow, warped voice over a single droning guitar chord, do you remember Kellogg's start? <laughs> I would be like, oh, now we're talking. Now we're going. Now we're cooking. Woo! Um, so basically, so Lee then, really. Not the best Christmas film, then. Not. Uh, no. I don't like Christmas films, and I especially don't <laughs> like this one. You have much candy cane lane. Um, can I do a very super quick two minute trashing? It's oh, it's not even it's not even a Savalas. It's a it's it's sorry it's on the Savalas. So this is just okay. a recommendation. Really quick thing. Trainwreck Woodstock '99 is on Netflix. Um, and it just covers Woodstock '99, which was a, a train wreck of a festival. Oh, really? I knew I knew they tried to do the redo Woodstock and the peace and love vibes, but with a a real commercial bent to it. Ooh. And I knew it was a shit show, but I didn't realize it is astonishing how much of a shit show it was. Oh. Like I said, I just want to, it's this 22nd thing. It's Netflix. It's two and two and a half hours long, three parter. It, it, if you're, and it, it talks about bands like Bush and Corn and Limp Bizkit and stuff, but the music isn't the focus. It's more like the goings on behind it. What happened at that festival and how um just the, organizers who and producers of it who are being um interviewed now are completely like just refuse to admit it's their fault and they, they were there was any wrongdoing on their behalf it's 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 just like i was just biting my fist thinking my god admit culpability there was just really quickly it was 40 de- like 100 degree heat so 40 degree heat on asphalt so it's bouncing up at you <laughs> and at the start of the festival and there's 250,000 people there, and it, and it escalated throughout the festival because it was all just about making money. The average price of a bottle of water, and I and I I worked it out in today's money in British pounds was eight pounds sixty <laughs> in 1999. So people just were What's like, that, like fifteen dollars or something. It was like tw- yeah it, yeah at the time it was like twenty two dollars or or twelve dollars. Yeah. at the time but oh then my God. It, it's it's oh. you watching it and you think and this people are just like unrepentant about the fact there was any wrongdoing and you think yeah no it was, it was all your fault you caused these injuries and deaths um oh so yeah, God, that sounds, yeah what's that on netflix so yeah. it doesn't sound unlike the uh fire festival documentary that's out a few years ago which was astonishing as well just amazing just the level of incompetence and lack of planning it's a bit it's bewildering um yeah sorry that's me done actually I that is me done as well really oh nice okay yeah so we cleaned out we've cleaned the, our shelves and wiped them down so are we going to talk about the film of the week oh yeah jingle all the way no, no um it's not. no it's not that um well just looking through these bad boys it's got to be the killer, I think, for me. There's nothing else. I mean, you know, Time Cop was fun. Talk to me had its moments, but yeah, the killer was the most consistently entertaining, I'd say. It's a tough week for me. I mean, I am going to watch the killer very possibly. I might start tonight. Um, but I mean, for me, I had the, you know, the Bronx Executioner was possibly a nod towards 
a new director, um, which is which is always nice. Trainwreck would start 99 doesn't count because it was on the Savalas. Crooked was the most average film I've ever seen. Evil Dead Rise, you've covered. Uh, I Spy was fine. Just a nice little reappraisal. The Pope's Exorcist, I think, for Ooh, me. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I kind of, I, I kind of, um, I was amused by it and not terrified by it, but I was entertained by it. So yeah, I, that a Pope's Exorcist for me, Russell Crowe. Excellent. Well, I suppose it's onto the Arkansas now. Then I yeah, guess. I'm, I'm going to be fair. I'm surprised my voice is held up through this. Um, so well done. <coughs> thank you. Um, I've actually done the Arkansas this week as well, Ooh. which I'm I'm going to try and do from now on because it was quite fun. Uh, like this, so this, the fact that we're 82 episodes into a podcast that I co-host <laughs> and I I do one game. Oh, that's quite good actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you, do you, shall, can I go first because it's my first time, and then you absolutely. And then we, so this is so, Rowdy Roddy Piper to Vigo Mortensen, right? Yes, it is. So okay. for me, I'm gonna, I just before we go into this, because I'll, I'll rattle through them all, I just need to get one, obviously, Utah, just to make things awkward, it sends in an audio entry, and I just need to line his... Cue it up. He's a, he's a sausage drummer. But we love him a bit. And we, we missed his... Um, uh, movie rhyming Stephen Lang this week as well, so we'll have Ooh. to send. Okay, I've got it, I've got it prepped up. Okay, so <coughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper is in The Shepherd with C. Thomas Howell, who is in The Hitcher with Rutger Hauer, who was in Sin City with Elijah Wood, who is in Lord of the Rings, whichever ones, with Viggo Mortensen. Nice. So was that three or four? That's four a four step. step. Oh, it's good. It's good. Good work. I like it. The thank you. Thank you. Unusual choice for the first for the rowdy rowdy paper one. I was determined to get C. Thomas Howell in it. <laughs> I think all of these should be via C. Thomas Howell. That would, um, be, that would be a tough game. Okay, who's next? Uh, you, I was, do you want to do yours? Sure, I'll do mine. Yeah. Okay. So Roddy is in They Live with Keith David, who's in Cloud Atlas with Hugo Weaving, who is in The Fellowship of the Ring. With Vigo Mortensen. Oh, a three-stepper, nice. <coughs> well, we've got another three-stepper here from Ben. This is a humble three-stepper. Rowdy Roddy Piper was in They Live with Keith David, who is in Armageddon with Liv Tyler, who's in Lord of the Rings with Vigo <laughs> Mortensen. That is uh, true. The next one is from Utah. Vigo Mortensen. Vigo Mortensen. Autism, Mortism. Vigo Mortism is in History of Violence with Ed Harris, who is in Armageddon with Keith David, who is in They Live with Roddy Roddy Piper. I think he's in that. They go. Three stepper. Boom. Look me. Um. I like how it's kind of twisty because you've had Keith Keith David in Armageddon, you know Keith David, blah blah blah. So yeah, so but again, three steppers so far. <clears throat> the next entry is from Max, who sent in two actually. Sorry, I'm gonna cough again. <coughs> um, Roddy Roddy Piper is in The Shepherd with David Carradine, who's in Kill Bill with Daryl Hannah, who's in with, with is with Harrison Ford in Blade Runner, who's in Indiana Jones with John Rhys Davis. Who's in Lord of the Rings with Vigo? That's a five-stepper. Nice. 
Okay. And then he backed it up with Rowdy Roddy Piper is in They Live with Keith David, who's in Armageddon with Liv Tyler, who's in Lord <laughs> of the Rings with Viggo uh... Mortensen. Our occasional co-host and constant lover, Laszlo, said, Hi, as anticipated, I have given up and I'm going up with my first answer. Uh, Rowdy Piper was in They Live with Keith David, who was in Chronicles of Riddick with Carl Urban, who who was in Lord of the Rings with Keith with Vigo. Always a nice to have a mention of Carl. Always nice. Always Carl, never Keith. Um, and the final entry was from my dad. It was really funny, actually. He came over and I was, he knows the Arkansas Diaries. And I kind of, as I was going out, Trevor P or something, I said, I asked Roddy Piper to, to Vigo Mortensen. And then I came back in and he said, I think I've got it. So he said, Rowdy Roddy Piper was with Keith David and they live. Kurt Russell was with Keith David in The Thing. The Thing to Christian Slater, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. And from Christian Slater to Sean Bean, in Soldiers of Fortune, <laughs> from Sean Bean to Lord of the Rings with Vigo. So another five-stepper. Oh, so take it yeah. jumping in. Yeah. Beautiful. 3,000 Miles to Graceland, by the way, it's, it's an oddly grimy film that uh, people people should watch. Um, yeah, we talked about so, that a few months ago, didn't we? It's very yeah, odd film. Yeah. Um, so who... It's a th- Everyone's got three-steppers. I mean, I came... Um, it was a few fives, a few fours, but the threes. So there's no real winners this week. No. Apart from the audience, because I've decided that whenever it's a draw, they win because they're a piece of shit. Okay. Yeah. That um, so what's the Arkansas for next week then? Well, 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 I'm just looking through the movies here no. to. Okay, we can't be any of the. Can, I, can, I, can, I, can I do the first one? Sure. <clears throat> so I'm just thinking because because of the Beverly Hills Cop thing, um, I feel like it's a bit of an Eddie Murphy week for me this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm feeling thy spy in the belly. So I'm going to say Eddie Murphy to Charlie Murphy. Charlie Murphy. No, not really. Eddie Murphy to. Okay. Peter mm. Alice. A dead golf commentator. <laughs> That'd be tough. Eddie That'd Murphy be tough. to John Parrott. Um, right. Eddie Murphy to actual golf two on the PS one. <laughs> Eddie Murphy to well, it's a tricky one because he he does. I was thinking this when you were talking about earlier where he was. It was like Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson in a film together. And it's almost like two different generations of comedy actors kind of like crossing over that's quite yeah he's got like a 40-year career so it's probably much could be easy but you know it's you know it doesn't have to be hard eddie murphy to michael fassbender yeah that's nice i like that because i can't think of immediately like where they link up there may be yeah it's a kind of one where you're thinking you can easily get a three-step but you're thinking oh I want to go is for two. two. Is there a two-y? Is there um, a two-y? And, also, yeah. and also there'll be um, people will be the different, this such a vast library of films for Eddie Murphy that I think there'll be some nice journeys. Yes. Um, and feel free to send them in either Twitter at the men who talk, or sorry, Twitter at Kino Kingdom or uh, the men who talk at outlook.com. And you can help me group it. Choose the title. There's uh, I, while we've been talking, I've got titles for this one, two, okay. three, four. So, the choices for this episode are serviceable fight scenes. You see his ass as well. The USP of JCVD 
or challenging the dynamic of parental competition? Uh, one of those last two is, oh, they're all brilliant. I do, I do like the USP of JCBD because it doesn't make any sense when just looking at it, but then it makes perfect sense uh, when you're list. in context. And or challenging the dynamic of parental competition. <laughs> that's also good. Because then it suggests that's what the podcast is about. What does if you can have a serious, like long form conversation about parental competition? Just imagine, close your eyes for a second, right? And just imagine that. So close your eyes and I can help you decide between those two. You're doing the splits between two chairs in a producer's (laughs) office, And there's, and you're doing the splits naked, and the producer, you can hear him saying, wow, that's impressive. And then, and then you hear, you, you hear, you, do, you can feel something unusual and you, you just hear on the wooden floor like a ding, 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 ding. And the producer says, I don't know if you know this. And you say, Shh, I know five pound coins just fell out of my ass. <laughs> so, which, which, so does that help? <laughs> well, it's got to be JCPD, clearly. <laughs> okay. So the USP of JCVD, thank you everyone for listening. And are we going to do this next time? Is the next episode going to touch on the best film of JCVD? Is that going to be I a little think it feature? Has to. I think it needs to. I need to watch some JCVD again. I've got some I have a real hankering for it now. So I'm going to go straight away now and go watch The Quest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to bugger off and watch a Legionnaire again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Rupert, I love you. Do you love me? Uh, often. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Hey, it's Tia Carrere, and you're listening to Kino Kingdom with Brit and Rupert. Party on, guys.